0: You're listening to the Pop Zara Podcast.
1: Hey, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world today. Welcome to the Pop Zara Podcast. Today's episode is special, not only because we have a fabulous guest flash cartoonist named Takisoba, but because it's also hosted by me, Ev Wong. I kicked Nate out of the seat today. Uh, I'm kidding. It's only special because of our awesome guest today, which I'm very excited to speak to. So let's get to it. Our guest today is a Hugo Award nominated cartoonist. She's worked on some kick-ass projects such as Synergy, Rapture, Murder, Inc., Bitch Planet. I mean, come on, that title, you got to read it, right? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Pops our listeners of the podcast. If you're unfamiliar with her, get into her work because she's got so much more to give don't know who we're talking to? Well, I already mentioned her name, so you know who we're talking to. (laughs) Today, we're going to be chatting about her first solo project, Sleeping While Standing, published by Avery Hill Publishing. And some of the stories she shares in the book are heart-wrenching and mind-blowing too. I mean, you just have to get your hands on this book. And what I love is that it's set in these really cool short vignettes, so we kind of have this like voyeuristic look into her life. Not in a perverted way. Please don't take it that way. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> or you can.
2: You're allowed.
1: <laughs> hey, that's true. You can. But that's totally fine. If she says it's okay, it's okay. So everyone, please welcome the very prolific and awesome Takisoma. Thank
0: Yay! you for having me. I uh, What an introduction. I don't deserve such introduction. So thank you.
1: Oh my gosh, of course you do. Okay, I really hope we can add in some kind of applause track. That would be so much fun. Okay. (laughs) But first off, like, congratulations on your first solo book.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so incredibly um, humbled by this experience because, like you said, it's a solo book. I've never done anything like this before. Um, I've always worked in, um, you know, monthly books, or direct market books, and I've never actually worked in a graphic novel um, uh, direction before. So it's my solo book and a graphic novel. So I I was like, well, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just gonna go for it. And I'm glad.
1: Oh, my gosh, (laughs) I love that this is like your debut into this. But at the same time, I mean, you've you've worked on so many other projects that I mentioned before too, but this is your first solo project and hopefully the beginning of many more as well. Me too. What, like, so just tell us like um, pins and needles, what did it feel like to see your name and your art on the front cover of your own book? Um, surreal, weird, um, kind of flinchy,
0: you know, I'm one <laughs> of those artists I'm like, you know, uh, nothing I do is good enough for me. Oh yeah, so, of course. <laughs> yeah, so like, once I finish anything, I'm just like, I'm just picking at all the 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 things that I could improve upon and stuff like that. Because you know, art is never really finished. Yeah. Just, it's
1: just it's just done, and you just gotta turn it in. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, having that sort of discipline. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Because sometimes it's just it honestly feels like, uh, you know, it could be put off. But no, you need to like and you need to and you can't keep tweaking with it afterwards. It's just Nope, it needs to be done. <laughs> you got to publish it on your app. So you need yeah. to get it done. Yeah, you got to have
0: some type of a discipline to get that out, you know. I think everybody has the uh, ability to to um be artistic and have, you know, can express themselves and like I said the, the thing that can get in the way is like well you can always tweak and you can always make it better because there is no perfection in art, mm-hmm. you know. So you, yeah, like you can take a perfect script and you can read it over again, and somebody else can come in and like uh, you know edit some more and make it better. It just it's never ending.
1: Yeah, actually that's what you wrote. Um, I believe it was either oh I can't remember if it was your husband or your friend who wrote in the foreword who said that you're so great at cutting out the fat as well. Uh,
0: yes, the fat. Yeah gotta go I am I am a kill your darling um yes advocate. I'm an advocate of kill your darlings um it feels great yeah it's it's a discipline that that like I I learned along the way while working on this um specifically because this book of itself is I I uh chose to tell each story uh in like four pages or less
2: mm-hmm. and
0: that gave me this um Discipline that I had to follow. It was just a, uh, you know, I, I had to t- uh, trim the fat in you know, order to tell the story. And um, mm-hmm. I learned so much from um, uh, what's the word, um, uh, giving myself that limitation.
1: Hmm. oh yes exactly like whenever authors have to write a hundred words or less and they're just like oh my god I can't it's like no you can you just have to get rid of all the cursory bullshit <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um so it was it was really
0: challenging but it was really fun at the same time mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, I really learned a lot from doing this and having this this discipline I'm really appreciative of what it taught me
1: definitely mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, plus, like, there's just like that, there's a beauty to it as well, because it's like a really cool dip into these specific memories of yours. And it starts off with your life in Japan, and mm-hmm. how through like your parents divorce or your of uh, the separation, and then the divorce, and then your mom meeting your stepdad, and it, it basically ends up with you moving to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So that means, that in itself must have been a huge cultural shock, not only because of the physical size in comparison of Minneapolis in comparison to Tokyo where you were born, but the difference in like language, dress, weather, like that's what you actually addressed in the first few panels too. So can you tell us a little bit more about your first memories of landing in the States? Like what was it like for you besides the coldness?
0: Well, the coldness was so severe I remember like the moment I stepped out of the airport, I remember thinking like, oh, there's no way I'm going to live through this. I'm Mm -hmm. literally going to die right here because I don't know how to handle like this cold. This is a cold that is um, beyond language. Mm -hmm. uh, It's it's a monster that I cannot fight. That's Mm -hmm. how I felt. Like it was just so overwhelming. That's all I can think about. But of course, I survived and uh, I lived in Minnesota for 22 years after landing there. Um, but yeah, that that was the I, I like nothing else actually like went through my mind except for how cold it is, because I landed like late January, like the coldest time of the year in Minnesota. So I, I nothing could, could prepare me for this. It, like I said, it's beyond language how cold mm-hmm. it can get. Every year in Minnesota, it can uh, reach like uh, 20 below wind chill at least oh. once once a once a year. Oh Every my God. Mm-hmm.
1: That's just so horrible. I'm sorry. Sorry to all, any Minnesotans listening to this podcast right now, but how do you guys deal with that? I mean, I'm uh, Canadian and I can't handle that cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, we handle it by staying inside.
0: And look towards like Prince to uh, guide us through it all.
1: <laughs> wow, that is that's some resilience that you guys, like Minnesotans, have. <laughs> like that's. Oh
0: that's yeah, awesome. no, I mean, I think Minnesotans are hardy people for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Because,
0: like basically, we're kind of forced to live indoors for like nine months out of the year. Oh wow. And the summers there are no fun either it is so really
1: incredibly humid because um, of all the lakes oh right right right, right. Mm-hmm. oh my gosh exactly like how life would be in ontario like basically the east coast of canada thankfully i'm on the west coast but oh, like <laughs> i don't have to deal with that kind of humidity or coldness yeah. thankfully yeah. But did yeah. you find that, like, you had – you obviously had probably had to immerse – you immerse yourself in that culture, so you had to learn it really quickly then,
0: right? I, I did. Um, like, one thing I didn't know about Minnesota was that, like, there was literally no Japanese community there. I just I, – I didn't have, like, a group that I can just kind of set myself into and feel comfortable and, like, learn through their lens at all. Mm. I was just like, well, I'm just kind of uh, – like left in a cold and I just have to just just do with it. Um I remember going to going to school, for, uh starting school and first day of school, they didn't really know what to do with me. So they were like, okay, well will you go sit over there with these girls mm-hmm. and you guys kind of figure it out like, hey girls, you 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 can just kinda teach Taki the ropes of what's going on and stuff, right? And the girls are looking at her like uh okay. These girls um um are I think Vietnamese. Okay. So like I was kind of looking at them, they were looking at me, they didn't speak English very well, they spoke uh Vietnamese. I speak Japanese and they we're kind of looking mm-hmm. at each other. Like how what what like what how what how how do we so we have to go through um three levels of filters. So mm-hmm. Japanese to English to Vietnamese and then like vice versa. And I'm like, wow. that doesn't make any sense. But they just decided like, um, because we look, you know, East Asian, then like we must have something in common. So they just kind of grouped us together. Wow. And that's oh, wow. how it was handled. And I'm like, all right, well, then I, I, I guess I have to learn English very, very quickly. So wow.
1: I can at least have some people to talk to.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you,
1: like, try to stay in touch with any of your friends from back home in Tokyo, like, write letters or phone calls or anything? Absolutely not, and I don't know why.
0: Oh, okay. There's no reason behind it. I just, it just, um, I think I was just overwhelmed with everything that was happening around me. Um, mm. In a good way, I was discovering a new world, basically. hmm um, so I was, my my bandwidth was just spent on uh, immersing myself in in my surroundings.
1: hmm hmm yeah. That makes so much sense because, I mean, it's basically fight or flight, right? And you mm-hmm. had to survive. So it's just, like, you just kept, like, going at it to make sure that you could actually survive. So there's no, I can understand why you wouldn't have the bandwidth to, like, be like, oh, my gosh, I need to write to my friends back home in Tokyo now kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mm, I totally so, understand. And, and and that just kind of kept going, so i
0: actually to to this day, I don't really have any connections at all in in japan um i i I mean my grandmother has passed away um, mm-hmm. and my uncle passed away um uh, my other uncle i we, we we were just never really close, so yeah, i just um I don't have any connections over there really um at least it, like you know blood relation-wise.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and how did your brother and your mom handle the transition between Tokyo and Minneapolis?
0: I think han- handled it really well. They kind of leaned on each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a different relationship than um, what I had with my brother or what I had with my mom. Um, they They kind of had their own language, um, that mm-hmm. I wasn't in on, um, mm-hmm. so I I think you know they leaned on each other to survive the mm.
2: the transition. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then I actually want to touch on your mama for a bit, mostly because like the first story you introduce us to mm-hmm. in the book is about your mom asking you if you would let her best friend, Kazuko, I believe, Mm -hmm. adopt you. Mm -hmm. And the continuation, that repetition of that conversation where she asked you a second time to be adopted, which Uh made you feel unwanted. And even, I think, like, even the way that you drew her, as well, where there's, like, the, it's, like, the same image, but there's, it's, like, a faded one in the background, to me, it seemed like she was trying to, like, give you some sort of underlying message that you weren't necessarily picking up on, mostly because you're a kid, of Mm -hmm. course, and Mm -hmm. I know that um, Asian moms are famous for their hidden messages in what they say, and my mom still does this to this day, and I'm just, like, girl, just tell me straight up what you want, (laughs) because that's all I need, okay, just tell me what you want. Anyways, but that aside, I'm curious. What is the current relationship you have with your mom if you still have one? Well, I would have to say that it is
0: it's complicated.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I've come to a place in my life where I went far from um, worshipping her mm-hmm. to through my therap- therapist, realizing that she was not the best mother mm-hmm. in the least and i i went through phase of anger mm-hmm. resentment toward her and now i'm at a place where i'm like i don't know what to do with this relationship because you know she's not a bad person she was just a bad mother to me mm-hmm. um, but she's not a bad person so yeah I, i'm at a place where i'm not really sure what to do with this this where i'm at right now mm-hmm. largely because i don't think neither of us are willing to um put the time in to mend the
1: relationship
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah okay yeah that, that makes complete sense based on just like what i've read in your book it was just like ooh. Okay, yeah, I understand why you would feel this way completely. And I don't know, like, did you have any sort of resentment towards your Japanese roots in that sense? Like, I don't know if you associated her with your old life in Japan necessarily, or, like, do you feel that there was... Did you feel like there was any sort of disconnection between you and your cultural roots then?
0: Not resentment, but I, I have... I think a skewed view of what it is to be Japanese, I guess, in a in a in a sense. I remember like um when my uncle, who's still alive, I think it was him, he were about to uh, take off to Minnesota. He just pulled me aside and he's like, Look, you're going off to America, to the US and I just need you to know, and I was nine years old. Just need you to know that you're Japanese, and you have to be very proud of being Japanese, and you have to just um, own being Japanese. And I'm like, well, yeah, um, okay. how, okay. how do you not do that? Like, I I can't just get rid of being Japanese. Like, that's a <laughs> weird thing to say. But also, yeah. how? Like, what do you mean? I need to be proud of? Like, what? What does that entail in your mind? Like, I didn't understand. Like, to this day, I'm like a little confused by what he meant. And I do really kind of think about that often. Like, well, what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. How do I? How do I do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and, how? Uh, yeah. It's just like, well, um, I'm. I'm. Uh, I can't not be Japanese so what? Well, uh, I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. I, yeah I, I kind of understand that in a way mostly because like and I don't know if this was your experience but like so I'm just for background sake I'm third generation Chinese Canadian and mm-hmm. I felt a huge disconnection from my Chinese cultural roots and mm-hmm. that didn't really surface until 2020 where it kind of caught up to me and it forced me to face the fact that like my community still isn't accepted in America, exactly. Right. Though many of us have roots here for over a century kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering if you experienced that sense at all. Oh, did you have some kind sort of like rediscover? Like, I know that you said that you, you can't stop being Japanese by the same time because you were so immersed in America at such mm-hmm. a young age. I feel that a lot of times that I've seen in other Asian Americans is just that they assimilate. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering if you, in that sense, like, did you rediscover anything else about your Japanese roots during the pandemic or um, especially with all the attacks on the Asian community that were happening?
0: Um, Boy, that's a,
1: it's a heavy question. I realize that now. I should have. Yeah, it, is, it is a heavy
0: question and I think there's uh many directions of answers that that I could, you know, come up with. Um so uh I um I mean yes and no. Like I guess um like some of the things that I I've been discovering about being Japanese in America at least is Mm -hmm. by talking to my husband, who's Caucasian, Mm -hmm. and kind of giving him my point of view of, you know, growing up here in in the States, and what experiences I've had, um, because of the way I look. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I've come to the point where I'm like, well, I, you know, I don't, necessarily just kind of walk around and just talk to myself like I'm Japanese. I'm Japanese. Right. Like it's that's not a thing that goes through anybody's mind. No one's walking around like my husband's not walking around going, I'm Caucasian. I'm Caucasian. You know that that's not a thing, right? Yeah. But that is the impression I think a lot of people have Mm. about um people who look different and you don't really know anything about them so it becomes more of a cartoonish um just a blanket statement kind of thing mm-hmm. so I you know I'm especially in Minnesota I was constantly almost like constantly being reminded that I'm different, and I'm Japanese, and all those things—all those things, like good or bad, like they meant it in a nice way or, you know, in a racist way. It didn't matter. It was just always a reminder. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I—I I, I know you don't have to tell me.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> You're very aware when you look in the mirror.
0: <laughs> I have a mirror at home, so yeah, no, it's cool. I—I I know, but thank you for the reminder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, but I've always, like, was hyper aware of these things. So when the attacks happened, I was like, oh, well, the thing is, it's these kinds of attacks have been happening constantly all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just a now... it it has we've come become aware of it because of the pandemic because um people are staying at home and like they're just consuming more uh news and information um and you know and uh yeah we're, we're just getting more news about it but it's like it's been going on forever racism on asians and of course every other you know race um has been going on forever um yeah so
1: yeah <laughs> yeah i i i find it really i find it really interesting when I speak to other asian americans and just getting their perspective on everything as well but sidebar um in contrast to your mom your stepdad was super cool i mean oh i mean like yeah, I mean giving you a Hattori Hanzo sword from Kilville. Yes. Fucking a kiss. I mean, honestly. I I, mean, I can see why it stood out in your mind versus what your parents used to give you in comparison to what they gave your brother. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: No, it's um my yeah, my dad was really cool. He um he was he was a, a good parent. Mm -hmm. And again, this is my therapist's words, and I think it's easier for me to quote my therapist than to say that it's from me. Mm -hmm. I remember when um, I was talking to her, she's just like, you know, the wrong parent died. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is pretty harsh." But she, uh, you know, uh, maybe she wasn't wrong at all. I don't know. You know, it's it's some it's it's a it's a, it's a harsh thing to say, mm-hmm. but
1: I don't know. It's something to think about, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, and even in your story, addict, um, just like you were talking about this escapism that you were seeking, and you mentioned that it wasn't from fear necessarily, but from pain. So can you speak to a little bit about the pain that you were experiencing that pushed you to take drugs? Um,
0: well, yeah, it, it, it's just, um, it was just one way to cope with um, trauma and traumas. Mm-hmm. And depression, and all of those things. And I think, you know, many people, almost everybody, um, experience some kind of trauma and pain and stuff in, in their lives. And like we all have to, we have choices on how to deal with them. Mm-hmm. You know, some people go to food, some people go to hoarding, some people, um, you know, uh, take up, you know, video gaming and just escape. Forever, um, mm-hmm. and I decided I was going to choose drugs um, to cope with the pain. Um, however, this was not anything that I knew that that's what I was doing in the moment, of course not of course um, not no, of course, you know it just uh, it just it felt like it was just just like it was just a natural progression. Mm-hmm. Um, whatnot. But um, looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was just trying to, like, punish myself the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's how I got into drugs is uh, there was a lot of traumas in my life that I guess I
1: just didn't know how to cope with at the time. So this was the one way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, do you I don't know, because obviously your dad didn't leave a note for you um when he died um Mm -hmm. but did do you know if that's the sort of pain that he was dealing with as well like the depression um any sort of traumas that he was working through it has to be
2: Mm -hmm.
0: but
1: it's you
0: know uh, with something like suicide it's something that you know you'll always have questions Mm -hmm. and you'll never have a real answer and it's you know the journey for um people who um are left behind uh the suicide survivors are um we just have to come to a a place of acceptance whether you know we like it or not um if we want to heal Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really don't know the reason why I think, um, it was, a a number of things. Um, what I didn't actually mention in the book is that my dad, um, completed suicide, um, uh, one week after I left the States or not the States, but, uh, uh Minnesota to, um, to, uh, you know, um, be with my then boyfriend, uh, now husband, um, uh, who was in, uh, New Jersey. So mm-hmm. I moved away to New Jersey and a week after I I left was when he, um, you know, left yeah.
2: us. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I'm always wondering like, well, had I stayed, would he have done it?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: yeah I'm like well I don't know I maybe maybe he would have mm-hmm. um, but we don't know I don't know I'll never know
1: Yeah cuz I mean like I I would assume that he had like You had a huge influence on his life, just as he had a huge influence on your own life. Because in that same story for addict, you were thinking about how, what if your dad was the one who came in to discover your dead body? And that's Mm -hmm. what gave you the strength to kind of flush the drugs from your system. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just, that's an incredible gift that he gave us because you're here and you can, you can produce the art that you're producing right now as well
0: yeah no we were two peas in a pod absolutely
1: oh okay was he the one who encouraged you to pursue art
0: yes he was always 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 100 percent supportive of everything i've done
1: oh that's yeah amazing. and was there a specific reason behind becoming an artist for you i've always been an artist i just i was just born an artist um uh, mm-hmm
0: just didn't know what to do with it okay you know um I was telling my husband not too long ago that I'm like yeah you know when I was a little kid in Japan I just knew that like I was just gonna be a a, a cartoon artist like you know like a manga artist in Japan
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um, because everybody read manga yeah you know it's not like do you read comics in Japan people ask like which comics do you read you know mm-hmm. young or old Male, female—it doesn't matter. People, people read manga, uh, comics over there. So mm-hmm. uh, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to be a comic artist. But when I came to the states and like I was just like n- nobody around me um, was reading comics. Um, I did not, I did not have any comics uh, around me um, in, in, until in my twenties. Mm. Um, so in, until I like discovered American comics, I was just like, I just kind of gave up on the whole idea of like becoming a cartoonist. And I was just like, yeah, I, I'm an artist, but I don't know what to do with it because I I wanted to be able to pay bills and, you know, um, <laughs> eat and stuff like that. And, you know, you just grew up like, well, uh, artists are meant to be starving artists. So I'm like, well, I don't want to starve. <laughs> oh, so I remember like uh, I I I was working at a um this ad agency and I started going to an um ad school to uh-huh. uh become a um art director cuz so I'm like, well, it's kind of art ad- adjacent right. and it's, you know, it's, you know, pretty good career you know, I think I can absolutely pay my bills and stuff um being an art director." So that's yeah. what I'm gonna do and I was going to school for it. And um, and then like, yeah, I, all I did was talk about comics while there. So one of the students was like, um, yeah, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but like you, you, you don't wanna do this, do you? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, all you do is talk about comics. I'm Like, oh my God, you're right. Right. I don't want to do this I want to I want to make comics you're right so I like quit school and I started um pursuing comics uh I think I was like 27
1: I want to see 26 27 years old mm-hmm. yeah is that considered old I don't I don't I don't really know the comic book industry very well but like is that considered old or is that considered young still I'm I'm not
0: really sure, like um, my husband started his uh, comics career when he was like, what, 14, 14 years old. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I I talked to other um, artists and, and cartoonists who, you know, I was like, yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was in my thirties. And, you know, here I am making comics now. And, you know, so yeah, you have uh, like, um, like spectrum of uh different ways and different ages and
1: different reasons why people
0: get into comics so yeah i don't know what the average is actually
1: Mm. side note for anyone listening it is never too late to start so if you're interested in doing anything art related and not be a starving artist or anything like that you can still do it absolutely absolutely (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely i'm actually um uh, uh, teaching a class with Brian Bendis um, at um, Portland State University on um, writing comics right now.
1: Oh, that's amazing! Okay, yeah. we, will, we will definitely collect any information about that at the end of the pod, at the end of the pod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
0: like you know, um, it's like the like one of the one of the things that I really want to drill into the class is the fact that I'm like, well like there is no line that says like now you're good enough now you deserve to make comics like there's just no line so just Mm -hmm. go for it yeah make a comic and become a comic artist or a comic uh, creator then then like that's
1: yeah you don't need permission yes exactly oh Mm -hmm. I love that and I like just to go back on the whole starving artist thing I totally understand the whole of serving artists, which is a trope that my parents fed to me to stop me from pursuing art as a career. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> no resentment. There's no bitterness here. It's just,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, and like society tells you this too. It's not just parents, but like just society tells you, like, well, like, how are you going to make money? Well, how are you going to pay bills? Like, you know, people who get like um their um, master's degree and like, you know, um, poetry what are you gonna do with that (laughs) you do a lot a lot with that
1: so yeah because being a creator is so horrible my (laughs) god but yes the whole point
0: is it's never too late and everybody has creativity in them
1: oh my god yes oh Seriously. And so I know your husband mentioned in his foreword about how you first started out when you first started out in the comic book community. It seemed like doors were shut to you and you mm-hmm. had to like pave and create your own way into it. So can you tell us a bit more about the moment when you felt like everything was closed up and how you even managed to have that motivation and steel resolve that allows a female artist to make it in this community? well the door was
0: shut probably like a year or two um into my purs- pursuant into the comics uh industry mm-hmm. um i was doing a like few things here and there i would collaborate with writers or like i'll get my um stuff in uh published uh through um you know uh like Free Comic Book Day comic, or like uh, mm-hmm. a friend of mine is like, um, like uh, he he was like self-publishing and he would um, pu- publish me in that, or you know, just it, like I was just getting my my feet wet and like getting some traction and um, you know making my mark here and there.
2: Mm-hmm. And I was,
0: I was I was doing it, you know,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: um, uh. I was at a comic book convention and I, I was um assaulted. That assault now this happened like now. Oh my god, I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god.
2: 16
0: to 17 years ago now. Woof. That's hard to uh, admit, but uh it was, you know, um when that happened, the entire industry and like readers included that they they had very very strong opinions about this whole incident and the person who attacked me he kept his position he stayed in the industry and everybody protected him and i i was like well i guess i'm that girl now so um yeah, I like I, I I said, I said in my in my in my book, too. I was like, I, you know, I can't prove it. But I was blacklisted. Absolutely. And I knew it. So any, you know, um, I, I just I was like, well, can I swear on this thing? Oh, yeah, please do. Oh, all right. Well, fuck this. <laughs> I there they can't just drive me off and just be like oh that nuisance is gone no i can't i could not do that so i um yeah i was like well if i can't see myself getting any publisher to like even look at me then i'll just i'll just do a webcomic okay so i started doing a webcomic just because I I needed to do this, I I I I had stories to tell. I wanted to I want I I wanted to make comics. Mm-hmm. You know it's the 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 industry is, the industry is really strange. But it, we're just making comics. It's supposed to be fun, right? So just stop you know assaulting people and protecting them. Like seriously, it's not that it's not that important it's important to me it's important to the people who make it and read it and stuff but in the grand scheme of things come on just seriously just kick yeah. the dude out yeah because you know I'm the I'm the survivor I did not I didn't do anything to deserve this hmm but anyway, so I uh yeah, I just started doing like a webcomic and just um uh, just to get back into the industry. I was like, "Well, I'll just find a back door and just kind of sneak in, sneak back in." Um and that's what I did. And then, you know, um after a while, my um uh, I met my now husband, uh, then I lost my uh father and you know moved from Jersey, uh moved from yeah, Jersey, Jersey to um Minnesota to Jersey to Washington. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh so um many things happened and I for a little bit after my dad died, I just kind of crumbled into nothing. And I had to kind of build myself back up and I wasn't even doing the webcomic or anything for a while. Mm -hmm. And after, you know, um, many, many sessions with my therapist and, you know, uh, going through um, antidepressants and such, I was finally able to, like, start creating again. But I just didn't know. What do I like well, what do I do like you know he's still around the guy who attacked me, and yeah. um you know the story like the 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 whole incident was so big that like mm-hmm. that's all anyone can remember about me for the longest time, so I'm like, oh, what do I do what 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 can I do and get back in like this this is like <sighs>
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: luckily, what you know uh the the Oh, you know, uh, because my husband is a cartoonist also, mm-hmm. um, Michael loming And uh, we he was like, why don't we just make our own and just kind of go from there? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Why didn't we think about that before? We're both <laughs> in So, yeah. So I but I guess I wasn't ready, you know, Um but yeah, that's uh, how I got back into comics is uh um just collaborating with my husband because it was the safest way to get back in and feel supported. And mm-hmm. yeah, so it, it was that was how I got back into comics. So I snuck in with my
1: um husband in my arm. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. But and I think um, just like for all the people who've been following you or who are just hearing this for the first time, they will find some sort of relief in the resolution. Maybe not the res- resolution that you were looking for that's you, in your case, um, but it's in the book. So, which means people, you need to go pick it up to find out exactly what happens. <laughs> but, but again, read the book. Yeah, read the book. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, Again like let's be real like the comic book industry is male dominated and full of <laughs> misogyny so <laughs> with the through and creating your own little haven is like a huge fucking feat regardless and I feel like sometimes like that that's like, something I need to applaud you for that's oh, thank you yeah thank you so much oh <laughs> my god just I love the fact that you're actually accepting it this time. <laughs> Just <laughs> accepting my compliments. <laughs> uh, but um, so, can you tell us a little why you had this book set up the way it is? I mean, you mentioned that box. Was the first one that you worked on in late twenty eighteen, I think it was. but that's more towards the middle. So I understand the timeline that you wanted to set up, just like going from your childhood in Japan to Minnesota. But I was kind of curious why you set up the rest of the book the way you did.
0: Yeah, that um, the way that it uh, it reads um, it is uh, something that I kind of laid out toward the very, very end Mm -hmm. um because I was I didn't have like a linear story in mind when I when I would work on uh, you know these certain chapters um I was like well I need to talk about this and so talk about adoption I'll talk about um zombies or Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know um toys and Mm -hmm. uh, all those things like so I wasn't really thinking like um how can I make this a, a cohesive uh, uh, narrative um, to, you know, like, uh, as I was working on all of these different um, subjects, like, I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know how I'm going to put this together that, <laughs> that, that, that will read, like, I'm not sure mm-hmm. how this is going to work out, but I'm just going to go with it. Um, I just followed my gut. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. just... Work on stuff that um, needs to be worked out, and that that is calling your heart. And um, you know, it, it'll work out. If it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: that shouldn't stop me or anyone from you know make, making comics. Exactly. So, Plus, yeah. I also- so I, I I I almost like was um, hoping that my um, editor and publisher, um, Ricky, to kind of see the pattern and be like, I think it'll work
2: mm-hmm. like
0: this. But um, yeah, it. I was like, oh, I just, like after I was done with all of the stories and I just kind of looked it over, I'm like, oh, I think I can just kind of put it this way And it'll kind of sort of make sense because it's almost a little bit um, linear in in time passing to a certain degree,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, but not really. So it'll feel pretty random at at times, but I think it it, kind of has a pretty good rhythm, hopefully.
1: Yeah, and I honestly also really love the story about your cat, Xander. And of course the new one, Roman. So <laughs> I'm just I'm just like a cat and dog person. So I'm just like, oh my gosh, here's a cat. Oh, like, oh my god, look at him he's so cute. Uh, so I was like, ah, going totally crazy over like your drawings. That's so wow. like, Thank you. Thank you too. Oh my god, Roman looks so adorable. Uh, but yeah. um Yeah. I also wanted to touch on your multiple sclerosis, which is also one of the stories that you have in your book, but that's Mm -hmm. just obviously a glimpse at what happened. I'd love to go deeper into it. Um, When you were first diagnosed or properly diagnosed, that is Mm -hmm. with MS, I know the relief that you felt probably like you finally understood the reason why your body was just rebelling against you. But did you ever think like, I'm sure you probably thought, oh my God, what about my art? and what about my like comic books Oh for sure
0: yeah it, it it's it's layered you know it it, it um it took me about 3 years to really wrap my head around the whole thing to to the point where i feel like i i have enough acceptance of this disease and understanding of the disease to be able to like make good choices based on what i know Um, instead of rebelling against it or trying to like trick MS into thinking I'm doing one thing and I'm, but I'm actually doing something else. So like, maybe like, um, like it won't affect me. And I'm like, that's just all like magical thinking. And that's not reality. But, you know, these are things that I think, um, a lot of people with chronic illness has to kind of go through. It's just a journey. In fact, I talked to a friend of mine who's had uh, who has been uh, diagnosed with uh, MS for a really, really long time, years and years, about it, and she even said, like, yeah, it'll probably be about three years before you can kind of say, yeah, I'm not okay with it, but I'm okay with it, kind of, kind of deal. Yeah. um, So uh, MS is is um, is like it affects everybody differently. There's a lot of like common symptoms that we share, but um, they're you know each very unique, uh, or maybe it's a unique combination of the symptoms. Or some people don't have any symptoms, and some people will um, become disabled uh, quite uh, rapidly, and others not so not so much some people may never become disabled you know so it's it's a it's a disease that is just like well what what can i expect and you yeah. know my doctor's like you don't it just when, when it happens it happens and if it doesn't then yay we celebrate it
1: and i'm like oh god. god that's just exhausting yeah ah oh wonderful. <laughs> like to not even have like some sort of something to be like okay this is what's going to happen now this is what's going to happen now and no just just like no it's just like it'll show up when it shows up and yeah. do what it does and it's just like are you kidding me yeah
0: it's 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 a jerk it's a jerk about disease. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you know it's it's known as um autoimmune disease but um I think nowadays if you ask like uh, 10 neurologists If they consider MS to be like um, uh, autoimmune disease, um, I think only half of them will will say yes, and the other half would would say it's more of a neuro neurodegenerative disease, um, or a combination of both. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the combination of both is probably more accurate, um, because it uh, it attacks your your basically like your uh, central nervous system. Mm It's not quite that, but, you know, layman terms kind of like that. Yeah. Um, So, you know, with your nerves being damaged or uh, affected, many things can go wrong and they're very, very confusing. So it's, you know, you get to the point where you're just like, well, uh, I have numbness, but it's not numb. And and people are like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't know. It just, I, I can't even describe it because it's just like, it's just my nerves uh, going haywire. And she's like, I don't know what's going on, but I got to react
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or not.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of people, myself included, um, uh, suffer from like what we call like brain fog, you know, like words will just literally fall out of your head. And you're just like, well, I know I have larger vocabulary than this, but like this, this is all I have right now. Uh, you have, they, they call it MS fatigue, um, which I have too. I have, I, I take medication for that. Um, and fatigue is like the biggest, num- like number one um, symptom that I suffer from every day. Uh, so I have to kind of parse out what I think I can handle that day. But uh, like like I said, it's just it's just kind of like, it just wants to do what it wants to do on a day-to-day basis. So I'm not really sure like if I can handle you know, I can't really make any plans.
1: Oh, God, that's so annoying. It's like a frat boy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So,
0: like, uh, to, to go back to, like, the art and, like, what's going to happen with my art and everything, um, I got to a point where I, I figured out, like, the, the best way to produce art but also preserve my energy as much as possible is just go 100% digital which was not something that I was like excited about
1: mm-hmm. but
0: the um the alternative is to suffer you know um uh fatigue to the point where I can't really do anything um so I'm like well yeah so I'll just I'll just do 100% digital and uh, at least I can
1: create comics this way hey any way you can yep right yep yep (laughs) exactly
0: any way you can
1: oh Oh my gosh i honestly like i feel like i could talk to you for hours about this and i know that in your afterward i'm just like you're looking for friends hey you got a friend right here as well Oh, thanks yes so you got a friend of me too (laughs) (laughs) i would love to keep in contact with you after the podcast as well so um before i ask the last question though was do you feel like there was a specific message you wanted this book to have for your new and maybe current fans as well?
0: I guess the message I wanted to have in this book is that I, I, you know, I, I always, I didn't know that my life was as unique as it was, as I was living it. But I hope by reading my book that, everybody has lived a really unique life Mm -hmm. and no matter how different we all experience like the different experiences that we we go we go through that um, if we're open to sharing these experiences that that we will learn that like we have a lot in common Mm -hmm. we're human and we're people and like that like the takeaway is that we, there, there are many ways to be able to connect people in many different ways, even though you can't really walk through somebody's shoes and like really go through it. But there are ways to connect with each other. And yeah, it's, it's just a universal thing. We all feel really lonely in our experiences at times, but mm-hmm. there,
1: there are ways to, to, to connect um, those, those uh, lonely moments. Oh my gosh, yes. That is so, so true. And I really, really wish more people would take that to heart as well. Yeah. Like, it's just, we are all human. We do need to connect and we do all feel lonely. And it's just like it, the best way to connect is to share our stories as well. Mm-hmm. Just to keep them alive as well. Like I think stories are living things and you need to keep them alive by telling them. You can't just keep <laughs> them bottled up inside. Yes, exactly. Mm, oh my gosh. So everyone who's listening right now, please keep your eye out for more Takisoma work. But for now, I mean like make sure and go out, grab her newest release, Sleeping Well Sandy, <laughs> published by Avery Hill Publishing. And it's released on July 14th in the UK and July twenty first in the US. So lastly. Tell us where we can find more info about you and work that you have in the pipeline, especially that course that you're creating with your friend Bendis. Please let us hear where we can find you.
0: Well, I am at Takisoma in all of platforms like uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. As far as the course goes, this is this will be my last semester that I'm work, I'm going to be working um, with him because um, I can only uh, teach through Zoom and I think they're going to go in, in person next semester, so this will be my uh, okay. last one. And I, I we, uh, my my husband and I are actually working on a, a graphic novel together about Van Gogh that I wrote and he's going to draw. And currently, I am writing another graphic novel where I just don't know who's going to be the artist or if I'm going to do it or anything but I'm just going to write it because why not
1: amazing oh my gosh and like if you said all that and no one knew that you had MS they'd be like yeah that's normal but you have MS and the same time it's just like holy shit (laughs) you're still going strong you're like fuck MS I'm going strong. I don't care. Kind of thing. So I love that. Oh, my gosh. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Pop Zara podcast. And we will catch you next time. And thank you so much again, Taki, for joining us today for this special episode. Thank you for having me.
0: You've been listening to the Pop Zara podcast. For more quality original content, check out popzara.com for the latest reviews and previews in gaming, movies, tech, and more.